Welcome everyone to this episode of the Naked Guru Experience. Please do like and subscribe the content. It really helps us out. So today's guest is Paul Selig. Paul is a spiritual channel for the living. His books include I Am the Word, Beyond the Known, Realization, and his latest book that we will be discussing today, Alchemy. Born in New York, Paul received his master's degree from Yale, and a spiritual experience in 1987 left him clairvoyant with the unique ability to step in to the people his clients ask about, often taking on their perspectives and physical characteristics. Hi, Paul, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So, Paul, um, you know... I, I've, from my, my whole life, I've been quite a skeptic of, of mediums and such, but uh, I was recently sent your work, and the moment that I heard it, the moment mm -hmm. that I heard the guides speak, I knew it was um, for real, you know? I really, it really touched something deep inside me that I'd been uh, looking for for a long time through various schools of thought, Hinduism, Buddhism, living all over the world and doing what I do. Uh, this was something else. I just feel so direct from the source. And so I just wondered if, if you could just take us through the process of how your books, including your latest book, Alchemy, is delivered. What's, what's actually mm -hmm. going on? Could you explain to people? Sure. You know, I don't write the books. The books are spoken. Um, the last four books, I think, um, were done entirely in front of audiences of students and classes and workshops around, around the world. Um, I sit in a chair, I close my eyes, I imagine myself climbing into the backseat of a car as I do this little prayer of protection that I like to work with, and then I hear. And when I say I hear, I'm not hearing with my ears. It's as if my own consciousness is receded goes back to the back seat and something else comes forward. I whisper the words as they come um, and repeat them in a louder voice. Um, and I've just been doing it that way for a long, long time. And sometimes the transmission is, is so fast that transcriptionists can barely keep up with it. Other times it's quite relaxed. Sometimes there's an accent, sometimes there's not. But my job really is to take the dictation as it's coming. Um, and that's what I do. And when it's over, the dictation's over, the guides I work with say, stop now, please. Period, period, period. And that's the end of the section. Um, and that's been true with all of the books. Um, you know, there are now eight in print with Alchemy and the ninth, they're, they're finishing that up. I think there's one more chapter to go here on Maui where I am. And that's been done, you know, before an audience, we had to convene on Zoom just to be able to get the thing done. Wow. And in, in, in your in your mind, what is actually going on? Do you hear this audibly or is it uh, could, could you describe that process of how, how it's received? If you can imagine a thought that, you know, cancels out all other thoughts. Now, my consciousness is still present. I'm being utilized, but I'm it's almost like reading fortune cookies or ticker tape. I'm just trying to keep up phrase, phrase, phrase. So I hear everything in phrases without knowing how the whole thing is going to add up. Yeah. It's not until I see the transcription that I see that the whole thing has been coherent. You know, the rule with these channelings from the very beginning is I don't get to edit them. I don't go back and fix them. And, you know, so the stakes always feel high when I'm about to go into a dictation session. If I misspeak a word, there's a word in alchemy that I refuse to speak 
um, when they were dictating it at Esalen. They kept using a word that I didn't know, and I didn't trust that it was really a word, so I wouldn't say it. And they said in the book, we're saying a word Paul's not repeating. And at the end of the lecture, I said the word was penumbra, and everybody looked up penumbra on their phones. It was the perfect <laughs> word. It was the light that comes from behind the shadow. I just, I have never used it and actually didn't really know it, so I got in the way with that when I simply said, uh-uh, I'm not saying it. So I'm present for the dictation, but I'm receded. You know, what I do, because I'm a conscious channel, and I always say, you know, I don't write these books, but my name appears on the cover. <clears throat> you know, I feel a little bit of accountability, not to the teachings, because I'm not the teacher, but to anything that would be too confusing or, or misleading. So if I hear something that they're saying from the back seat that I go, hey, wait a minute, the guides now say Paul is interrupting or Paul has a question. And in most cases, they'll take the question, they'll unpack the answer. Other times they'll say, Paul has a question, we'll, we'll address it later. And they'll just plow through their lecture, which I actually prefer. I love it when they say not now, because it reminds me that my role you know, while I'm a student of the work, is primarily to be the radio for the broadcast that they're bringing through. Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, Paul, I, I find you such a humble person as well. You don't come across as somebody that's trying to sell you something. You don't come across like a snake oil salesperson. I don't think you're trying to convince everybody, any, anybody of anything. Mm -hmm. And and, and you, I can see why you would be chosen to deliver such a message. Um, and I just wondered for you, though, 30 years at this, are you getting tired? I mean, is it you've done so many interviews. I've seen so much of your work. It's like a weight on the shoulders, it must be sometimes for you. Well, it's odd. I mean, I'll say that, you know, when you say 30 years, I started opening up psychically when I was 25, when I quit drinking and doing drugs. I just found how sensitive I really was. And I also was having a bit of a spiritual experience at that time as well. I was opening up to other possibilities. And when I began channeling, um, as I do now, I actually had convened a group in my apartment to do the work that a teacher of mine was doing. I, I had studied a form of energy healing, which I was doing very quietly. And in the very first group, which I had thought had a whole other purpose, the guides came through and started doing their own thing. But the way that I heard then was very different. I was hearing fragments, phrases, instructions for the group, and mostly the guides were working with energy. And I was interested in the work because I could feel the energy. The information I could have cared less about. And the problem with the information was it was coming through me, and who the hell was I? That was my feeling, but we could all feel the energy. So if the guides would say, everybody, you know, we're gonna put a hand on everybody's forehead, and the whole room goes whoop, and we feel it, <laughs> Yeah, You know, it kept confirming the experience, but I've only been known for this work for 10 years. I was doing it quietly. I was a college professor. I taught at NYU for a quarter of a century, and I loved it. I was good at it. I loved it. It was my job. And um, I feel in many ways that I was being trained to do the work that I am now through those years. So the burden on my shoulders only is that I left all that work. This is now my work and what I'm known for. I'm not always all that comfortable being known. Truthfully, I'm somewhat shy yes. by nature. And um, I don't want people projecting their crap in my direction because I happen to have this odd ability. I don't think it makes me special. I don't buy into that. I'm not a spiritual teacher. I'm not a guru. I have no desire for those roles. 
Um, but I'm willing to continue to show up for this thing that I may never fully understand. I may never fully get it, nor may I ever sort of really know why this has happened and how this came to pass. I'm somebody that didn't necessarily put a whole lot of stock in channeling myself. I was raised an atheist. I say, my mother says we were agnostic. I, I was taught to believe it was for stupid people, and I was happy to agree with that. <laughs> so when my life started to unfold in this direction, everybody was shocked. I was stunned. It wasn't what I expected to do. And really, it's still not what I'm expecting to do. I just keep doing it. So now it's what I'm known for. I'm consistent. That's my my gift. I'm consistent with my work. I keep showing up even when I don't want to. And, you know, I want I want to thank you for that. I heard you say that before. And um, uh, I'm not sure I could have the kind of energy and persistence that you do in it uh, to, to keep doing it. Uh, I, I don't know. Do you ever feel used in any way? In, in, is there any feeling of being being used or do you feel like you're doing the, the good work? I mean, I feel that I'm in collaboration. I feel that I have a job to do. My job to, is to show up. I've learned to show up in spite of myself. And I've learned and I'm relieved about that because, you know, the guys that I work with, have been known to override me. I remember having to put my dog down and my dog was my greatest companion for 12 years and having to go home and do a live stream channeling. And they came through and it was exquisite and beautiful and true. And again and again and again. So I've learned that they operate somewhat independently for how I happen to be feeling, although they might address my stuff. In the teaching, I don't feel used. It's taking care of me on a practical level which is nothing that I really expected to happen. I mean, I was an academic. I was making an okay living. I had a life that I liked. But for me to leave a job that I'd had for 25 years and walk away from, you know, benefits and retirement and all of those things at my age, I mean, I, I'm 58 now, was, was frightening to me. Mm. You know, but finally, I, you know, it was clear that I had to do it and I would do it. So I don't feel used. I feel, frankly, cared for. I wish at times I could live the teachings more than I do, but I am doing my best with it. But the teachings are challenging to me. They're yeah. really about seeing the divine in all things and knowing who you are as of that. And while I've had experiences that have been astonishing around this, I, I would love to fully live what they're teaching, and I hope I will as I continue. Yeah, beautiful. You know, on, on this on this show, we talk to uh, many, many people. And one of the topics that comes up quite a lot is um, psychedelics. And and in particular, we've, we're talking to experts all around the world at the moment, uh, experts mm -hmm. in the field studying uh, DMT, dimethyltryptamine, mm -hmm. which is uh, ingested and in, inhaled. Now, mm -hmm. the, the data that's coming back from this is pretty replicable. People are going to different dimensions and meeting what they describe as entities. And one of my questions for you, one of my burning questions was, are we meeting the same entities that are, that are talking uh, to, to you and coming through you? Are these different entities on different planes? We're, we're, they seem to have a consistent replicability. So I have no idea. I mean, that's not been part of my path. You know, it you know, I'm curious about such things. Um, my choice not to work with psychedelics has much more to do with my own history and my own personal history and not wanting to open a door. What I find so interesting is that so many people that come to my work 
um, or used to come to my workshop saying, this is what I'm feeling in your workshop is exactly what I felt in a plant medicine ceremony. I mean, they're having these experiences with energy. So are they the same guides? I actually don't know. I actually get a head shake. No. Um, I, I suspect that there are different levels of teachers that are available to people at different times. I personally believe that there are personal guides and we have personal guides who are there to, to shepherd us. I suspect we have guides whose primary responsibility is our evolution as a soul. You know, um, the guides that I work with are teachers. They've come to teach and they have a very specific mission. Are they the same guides? I, I don't know because I haven't had that experience of them. There's one that I've seen um, periodically I see him and I suspect if I meditated more, I'd see him all the time, but I'm lazy. Um, and I, you know, it's, it's a very specific visual experience for me. There are others I have seen too, you know, throughout the years, but I don't know what other people are seeing and I don't know what they're hearing. I tend to be truthfully a little cautious around people sort of, you know, exploring, other realms without some awareness of what they're encountering, because I don't think that everybody who wants to talk to somebody who's out of their body is necessarily have something wise to say, you know? I mean, I always say, my grandma's on the other side. She's been married, you know, she was married four times, I think. She's probably not who I want to go to for relationship advice, although <laughs> she might be very happy to tell me, but I don't want to do what she did. You know what I mean? So just because yeah. they don't have a body doesn't mean they're necessarily high level. My hope is that people are having these experiences are having experiences of truth, you know, and and what I call God and somebody else just might call, you know, consciousness. Mm. Um, now, I, I had a bit more of um, a technical question for you. One thing mm -hmm. that I've been trying to get my head around personally is I can see that we are all you know, we're all one at the center. So in mm -hmm. essence, for me, where, where I see it is this conversation is actually God speaking to God. It's God in communion with God all over and in, in, mm -hmm. everything, in everything that we do. But then mm -hmm. the question is, are we all one soul that is uh, fractaled off? Are we all actually the same person at the deepest level? Or are we multiple souls? What's I think it depends on what level you want to look at. I mean, I happen to be you know, in the U.S. That's so I can call myself a citizen of the U.S., which is or, or, or right now a citizen of Maui, which is where I happen to be staying during the, this, you know, this time. So I can be singular in this expression or I can be global. So while I believe that we're all individuated consciousness, um, we all have a unique fingerprint, you know, as who we are, but we are of the whole. So are we all of one soul? Finally, I suspect at the highest level, yes. But I think things are known in, in gradation. So at the most singular level, I can say, Paul, I'm in a male body. This is my age. This is the color of my skin. This is the religion of my, my family going back, you know, whatever. These are ways of knowing myself, but they're actually... And there are ways I learn through. We learn through the identities that we claim. There's nothing wrong with them. <clears throat> but my guides would say that's not who we truly are. I believe that we incarnate with people that we have stuff to learn from and perhaps some unfinished business with. I think that's something that happens. But at a higher level than that, I suspect finally we're moving into, into the absolute. So I think both are true, but it depends on the level of 
of alignment we come to. The mm. guys that I work with are teaching union now. I mean, that's really where these teachings are going, an awareness of the self and agreement to the whole. That doesn't come necessarily at the cost of a sense of self, but the sense of self that we've known is actually assumed within the higher. Do you understand? Yes. So I'm Paul as of the whole, just as you are Ryan as of the whole. Do you understand that? Yes. And I there are different levels to that as well as we progress. Mm. As we kind of, it seems, it, it feels almost like the soul is being born into form for me. And and as we do that, it, there seems to be a link between abstinence from things like smoking and drinking and sugar. And you seem to have to give up all of these things that you like in order to kind of come to deeper realizations of, of bliss and oneness. Or it, seems, it has been the experience for me that that has been an important part of the journey. What, why do you think that is? Well, I don't know. I don't know what it is for somebody else. I can, I can speak to some of it from personal experience. I mean, I was a heavy drinker and I was doing a lot of drugs and I was a year out of graduate school at Yale and I had all these things that I thought I was supposed to be and do and I was getting them all and I was a train wreck. And, you know, and it was the height of the AIDS epidemic. Everybody I knew was dropping dead all around me. I was a young man with platinum blonde hair and, you know, sort of a big leather jacket and I had my idea of who I should be. And that went away. Um, I, when I quit drinking, I actually, I mean, it's an odd story for me, but it was very important and such a sort of freakily traditional one. I was in a, a hotel room in, in, in St. Paul, Minneapolis, was working on a, a project and I didn't know where to get the drugs in St. Paul, you know, and, um, I was sort of, you know, crashing in this hotel room, and I didn't know what my problem was. I just knew I had a problem. Um, and the Gideons leave these books in hotel rooms, these Bibles, and it's, I took one out. It said, Prayer for People in Crisis. And I just said it, and I meant it, and I couldn't name the crisis. I knew, what, I, knew I was in one. And three days later, I woke up back in New York City, and I heard a voice telling me what to do. Mm. And I listened to it. It was the first voice. So for me... That abstinence was actually in support of what followed. But it wasn't because I thought it would be nice to stop drinking, nor did I have any interest in getting spiritual. It, was not, it wasn't in my playbook at all. I actually feel that in some ways I experienced some weird kind of intervention. Now, I was a, a four-pack-a-day smoker for most of my life, so I can get addicted to anything. And about 11 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, the guides I work with said, we would, like to we would like to continue to work with you, but unless you deal with this issue, we, we can't progress. And I quit, and I actually quit the next day, and I stayed stopped, which has been amazing. The work that I do now is a result of having stopped. Um, when I stopped, my sensitivity went through the roof. And I, I know that what I've done with all of these things is try to protect myself or keep myself, you know, separate. Yeah. Smoking is good for that. Who wants to be around somebody who's always blowing smoke at them? But the guides began to lecture through me at that point. And before then, I was doing energy work. I was sitting in a group in my apartment for all these years. We were having this experience, but everything changed. And that's when the books started coming shortly thereafter and haven't stopped. Mm. So I still eat too much. Um, I probably, it's a good thing that I don't 
live near a casino, I'd probably get into that too. <laughs> but you know, it's just not for me. And I don't know that it's a requirement for other people. I have friends that are very good psychics, um, you know, who can have a glass of wine and do a reading. I wouldn't think of it. Um, it wouldn't work for me that way. It's important for me. I know that if I've had sugar the night before I channel, I'm probably not going to be as effective. You know, mm -hmm. it sort of numbs me out. And so for me, I show up as best I can for the work that I do. I always have. But I do agree that things fall away. You know, the guides said recently in a because they're working on a new book now here and there's a group that's convened. And, you know, somebody was asking about, you know, killing animals. And the guide said, you know, basically, if you want to go kill something and skin it and, you know, you know, cook it and do the whole thing and deal with the reality of what you're doing, it can be a high choice. But, you know, but they basically said, which I'd never heard them say before, you know, if you're not willing to kill it, why are you eating it? Mm. You know, which is just making us aware of our choices and how unconscious we can be. And that's made me think a little bit, you know, I don't know that they're espousing, you know, vegetarianism. I didn't hear it that way. I heard wake up to what you're doing and how you're participatory to your reality. And yeah. we mostly, I think, are, are unconscious. I can be around many things still. Yeah. Now, the, the guides use various attunements. I, I know mm -hmm. who I am. I know what I am. I know how I serve. I have mm -hmm. come. I have come. I have come. Uh, some mm -hmm. examples of this. Now, uh, one of the things in the books in, in, um, in Alchemy, were, it, it mentioned that all you have to do is kind of accept it and be ready to be guided and we'll mm. do the rest. Where does that acceptance take place? Because for me, it seems like a mental thing and I'm sure it's supposed to be somewhere else. Uh, is it in repeating, repetition verbally or? No, 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 no. no. I mean, I don't think that's what's happening at all. Um, the guides work with attunements that are spoken. Um, and they say that the language that they work with is encoded with vibration. And they say we're all radios. That's what we are. Our consciousness is our broadcast. And what they're doing with these attunements is tuning the radios that we are to play the higher broadcast that they say has always been there, but we haven't been accessing. Mm. So it's the equivalent of, I suspect, you know, plugging the numbers into a jukebox and then suddenly the certain song will play. So the energy becomes present and for many people very physically as you work with these things. The claim, I have come, I have come, I have come, which is a, a decree or a, they call them claims of truth. They say all of these things are claimed not by the personality self, you know, who knows itself as finite and is separate, but by the divine self or the aspect of the creator that is within and seeks expression as and through us. So that's the aspect that can say, I know who I am, I know what I am, I know how I serve. If Paul were to say that as Paul, I would say, I'm 58, I'm on Maui, you know, this is what I'm worried about today, mm -hmm. all the small self stuff. The true self, they say, is present, and that's what we're rearticulating as or aligning to. When they say it happens, it happens, I suspect what they say is when some of these things are invoked, I have come as one of the big ones, which is the divine self expressing itself as and through. They say that the true self then has been basically given permission to reclaim itself at the cost of how we've known ourselves. So it's imagined sort of a lava flow that sort of transforms everything that it encounters. 
my process of channeling alchemy was unlike anything I've ever been through. It was a very hard period for me as this book was being dictated and I was experiencing much of what they were talking about. Things that I never wanted to look at or address or experience suddenly were my experience. But the guides say, you know, we don't get to cherry pick what is holy. You know, we don't get to decide these things. And they say, you know, if you've got a dead body in the basement, it's going to stink up the whole house eventually. So this idea of reclamation is the divine sort of recreating or re-knowing itself through us at the cost of what we have denied the divine in. And so I don't think that this is incantation magic happens. I think that this is a claim of truth, you know, the claim of the attunement, the vibrational alignment to the attunement, and then moving into energetic accord with it. Mm. So if you understand the idea of entrainment, I didn't even know what the word was until somebody <laughs> said it in a workshop. But if you understand that the idea is that when you're vibrating at a certain level, it lifts what it encounters to the higher. And that's what happens. The guides say it very simply. What you damn damns you back. And that must include any parts of ourselves that we are in damnation of or creating separation from source with. And what you bless blesses you in return. And they say... You know, what a blessing really is, is the realization of the presence of the divine where it has been denied. You understand that? You're mm -hmm. bringing the light to what's been held in darkness, and that actually transforms the darkness. So that's the process here. I mean, the attunements begin in the very first book, and every book has increased the amplitude of the attunements. Um, you know, in most of the books now, they'll catch everybody up. They say they teach in a one-room schoolhouse. But I'm not a big fan of people trying to storm the heavens with these things mm -hmm. because it's a lot of energy to run. And I suspect it's good to do what the guides say, which is allow yourself to integrate the attunement that you're working with and let it become a part of your field. Um, so it's it's not about you know, trying to rush it, trying to become awakened overnight. We live, unfortunately, in a culture now, you know, where people watch two videos on YouTube and they think, well, this is the key to enlightenment. And on the third day, I'm enlightened. And <laughs> I, I wish it would work that way, you know, yeah. but it hasn't for me. I'm still not there. I'm still learning. Um, most of the people that I truly admire would probably never announce themselves as enlightened. Because mm -hmm. I think people who probably are wouldn't go around announcing it. They would have no need to. And yeah. truthfully, there's a, a different relationship that one begins to have with everything when you begun when you when you begin to really do this work. It's no longer about, you know, who I think I am or who I think you are, but simply being. It, it's a strange paradox, isn't it? The ego can't claim the fame of enlightenment because to 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 say, look, I'm enlightened is an egotistical proposition in the first place, really, isn't it? Well, it's not. The, the guides say it's not the small self or personality structure that becomes enlightened. Mm. That's the paradox. Yeah. It's not about deifying the small self. For many years, the guides would say, um, you know, to, to, to students who would ask, and they use the word Christ sometimes, and their definition of Christ is the aspect of the creator that can be realized in material form is who and what you are. But they said to somebody early on, you don't become the Christ, the Christ becomes you. 
Mm. And there's a vast difference there, you know, which is it becomes you. In the most recent book, they're talking more about operating in tandem so that identity itself has become transformed at a certain level. But I suspect that's something that happens perhaps at a level of attunement or alignment that I can't say that I'm at. But the idea that, and the guides have been very clear, this is not about the deification of the small self, the one who wants to be seen as, I don't know, even, you know, I'm not a New Testament guy. I'm just really, I've never, I read it once. Um, but it's that thing about the Pharisees standing on the street corners announcing themselves as prayerful. You know, that's what you get. You know, look at me, how spiritual I am. Well, okay, that's what you get. You get people looking at you and saying how spiritual. That has nothing to do with one's innate experience of anything other than getting attention or being seen in a certain way. Yes. The true self, I hear, could care less what people think of him or her. It's beyond that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, and, you know, we, we usually shoot the podcast from Bali, so in Indonesia, ah. which, um, you know, I do hope you'll come visit sometime <laughs> if you, you ever want to come over to the, the East. But there, you know, the Hindu principle is that of Atman. Everybody is God. They've been talking about it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And ah. you study these world religions. They, they all seem like point, pointing at the same moon. Are the teachers talking about it, those, those teachings all encompassed? Like, was Jesus... Yeah of high vibration was Buddha of high vibration. Yeah, that's what they say. They're, they were they were realized. They realized who they truly were. The guides have said it many times, you know. I'm here on Maui and I was invited, you know, or found somehow this nice connection to the satsang of, of Ramdas, which is here, you know, even though he's passed. And I've, you know, been introduced to his, I never, I, I think I'd read one of his books when I was, 30 or something, but, and I'm loving the commonality. I'm loving it. I'm so happy to hear the commonality because I don't read other channeled work. I actually make it a point. So I buy everybody's books and I don't find that I don't open them. And I suspect that's because I'm trying to keep it clean. You know, I don't want to be informed, but I have a friend now who plugs on a Ram Dass recording every time I get in the car. And I'm astonished about how much he is teaching that seems to echo quite clearly what the guides have been saying. And I find, I think it's wonderful to mm. me that, that it's, it is one thing, you know, finally, you can know it in different ways. I don't know that there's only one path to truth. I think, I hope that there are many, you know, anybody, and the guides have said this, anybody who tells you my way or the highway, this is the only way to God, go run in the other direction <laughs> because that's manipulation. And I don't think it works that way. Yeah. You know, a, a little bit more of a, a deeper question is, you know, it seems that God is dying and being born to itself in form across time, uh, yeah. across the universe in reincarnation, reincarnation, reincarnation. The question is then, why does it do that? If it is omnipotent, omniscient and omnipresent, why, why do it in the first place? Well, I mean, it's a big, big question teaching, and they've talked about it some, and it's this idea of separation, which I've been told that we have claimed. We're the ones who claim separation, and we use it as an opportunity to learn, but it's got its limitations. And what I hear is our belief in separation has gotten to such an extreme point that we're really, you know, in danger of, you know, blowing ourselves to kingdom come if we want to. And I suspect that that's a choice that we have. And we can, look. I'd say, if you want to learn through destroying yourselves, you can do that. You'll learn from that as well. You'll learn that it doesn't get you anywhere. 
But I hear that that's not what's happening, that we're actually beginning a process of, of waking up. The collective is beginning to wake up to something else or to a higher way of being or who we truly are. And that comes at great cost, which is the cost of the old, which is who we think we are. I mean, there's all these things. The guides say, you know, self-righteousness is always the small self. Every time I'm, I'm up on my high horse, that's the ego again. But the idea, I, I suspect that maybe, I've got a mosquito here, um, is really about free will. And I understand that we've been given free will and it has to be our choice. You know, if you want this, it's there, but you have to choose it. You have to say yes to it. It's not, um, I don't feel that free, my free will gets overridden by the guides. I've often said, if I want to walk into oncoming traffic, I can, they're not going to stop me. But if I say, is this a good time to cross the street? They will probably say, not wise. But that still leaves it to me to choose. Do you understand this? Yes. They don't yes. co-opt free will, and I think that it's respected. It's, it's sacred. Yeah. Um, and we can learn through what we choose. You know, I, I think we, we, we're here to learn. This is school, finally. Why does God need to see itself in all things? I hear it's seeking to know itself or realize itself through all of its creations. And that's what the guides just said, so that's what I will say. May I ask also, I, I've had a quite a personal experience of uh, one, the, a loneliness in oneness. Um, mm -hmm. Could you all the guides comment on, is God, if God is only one, then is it lonely in one? Um, I get no. I hear no. But I hear because it's always revealing itself. So I don't know if loneliness, you see, I mean, that's almost this idea of anthropomorphizing, that's the word, you know, anthropomorphizing, whatever the word is, God. So I, I watched some guy, I, I, it really actually kind of upset me, mm. you know, at, at, at the beginning of, of, of this COVID stuff on CNN, who was a spiritual leader, I guess he was, I don't know, I, I suspect he was Christian, but he was saying things like, well, God is like us and God gets angry. God yeah. gets scared. And I thought, what kind of fucking God is that? I don't want that. That makes no sense to me. What a way to diminish the divine and then sort of sanctify self-righteousness and hatred and bigotry yeah. and fear. I thought, God gets scared? What the hell is that? I understand from my guides, whether they're right or wrong, they say, you know, they say fear is of God but doesn't know it. So its whole expression is the denial of the divine. And they say the action of fear is to claim more fear. Every choice we make in fear gets us more of the same, you yeah. know? Um, anyway, that's, that's how I understand it. So I suspect the book that they're writing now, and I haven't read any of the pages. There are like 270 pages in, and I haven't read more than a paragraph of it. It comes back from a transcriptionist. I put it in order, and then I don't want to see it. I'll look at it when it's done. But I think they talk about some of this stuff in that book as well. And I know they have in some of the others. Mm. I just wanted to read one of the quotes from the book here. It says, um, if they were to put us in a big room and it was too bright, we would run from the light. Yeah. Uh, this, this, I found this very similar to parts of the Tibetan Book of the Dead. When I read huh. the Tibetan Book of the Dead, upon death, we are approached with these bright lights and the issue that we seem to face is that we run from them. 
And I wanted to know, is there any parallel there between the Tibetan Book of the Dead? Are, are we to expect this upon death, that we're going to be faced with these big white lights? Do we have to make those choices? or? I hear yes and no. I mean, I suspect it's all the same stuff, you know, and finally, probably all of the same source. I think that the language that's used to describe any of this stuff is probably in and of itself a limitation of the information. And my guides say, you know, language reduces things. That's the point. It's, its intention is to define and reduce. There's nothing wrong with that. We operate with it usefully. But even any definition of God that we could have is in its own strange way a denial of, of, of how vast it is, because I don't think we can conceive it or have language to hold it. So I understand these things. Um, the guides I work with talk very little about the afterlife. They, when they've been asked, they've addressed it in some ways, and they basically say it's the equivalent of just shifting vibration. You're letting go of an envelope and stepping into something other. Um, and that there's nothing to be frightened of. It's really just transition. There's finally no end to consciousness because it can't end. It doesn't end. The guides have said things that I, you know, when they say these things, I'm uncomfortable with them. And they say, you know, that the, the basis of all what we know of as religion is finally one thing mm. that's been splintered in different ways. And what the teachings that come through me you know, they use language that's rooted in Judeo-Christian tradition. And, you know, I've finally given up. When I first started channeling, I used to censor because I didn't, you know, I knew if they said Christ, people would get would run from the room and get turned <laughs> off. And, and But then they started to define everything. And, and they say, bring it back to its true intention. Um, but I don't think and I don't perceive of it as... Uh, you know, a, a traditional teaching. There's a scholar, the guy, he runs um, the religious studies department at Rice University Jeff, in the States, Jeff Kripal, who wrote the introduction to the Book of Mastery, and he was convinced that this was a Gnostic teaching. He remi reminded him of the, the, the first, the Christian Gnostics before Christianity was, was organized. Um, and the Gnostics were mostly, you know, systematically done away with, I guess. But Victoria Nelson, who's a scholar, um, who was on the phone with me for the first several books, because I have to have somebody to talk to when I channel. Now I do them before groups because we're videotaping them. We want the record of the whole thing. But Victoria disagreed with Jeff and she said, you know, actually it's, um, and now I'm blanking on what it is. Um, oh God, hermetic. She said it's a hermetic teaching hermetic, because yeah. the guides are, the guides are speaking to the, the inherent divinity of form. The Gnostics didn't like the body, I guess, or they, I don't, I, I read a book about them 20 years ago and that's about all I know. Um, so, and the guides speak very specifically about the inherent divinity of form. They say, if you're denying the divine in your own form, you're actually denying the inherent divinity in everything else in form. You can't say that the body is outside of God without claiming that the ocean and the tree or the one before you is also outside. And so they're trying to bring us into this reconciliation with what we are as of the divine, with the divine that they say expresses as all matter. Yes. And and have they commented uh, on the particular times now, these times we're going through with the virus? Yeah. With, it's a, a common question you get now, but it's not very topical. 
They've been talking about it for 11 years. You know, <laughs> the very first book, they said, humanity is at a time of reckoning, and a reckoning is a facing of the self and all of one's creations, and that everything that's been created in fear needs to be or will be recreated or renowned. And the Book of Truth, which they dictated right before the last presidential election in the U.S., the guides talked about the energy of truth being present and the ramifications of that, which is basically a, revel a revelation of everything we've wanted to bury, including our own ugliness, you know, including the things that we would prefer not to look at. And unfortunately or fortunately, you know, what we're dealing with right now is having to see a whole lot of stuff you know, and its challenges, but they say that's part of the process of growth. There's a podcast that I did maybe eight months ago, and the, the reviewer, or the interviewer, if I recall, was really being aggressive about predictions, 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 and the guides okay. don't do that. I said, the guides don't do that, and then they did, you know, and they basically said, what you're about to see is different than anything that you would expect. It's about to turn everything upside down. And I was like, oh, brother, you know, and I only remember this because somebody posted the transcript of that exchange on social media and didn't, unfortunately, post which which interview it was from, because I'd actually be curious to hear it now. So they've been talking about this for a long time, but they're talking about these times specifically as opportunity and that anything can be seen as opportunity. And they've said this and it's not a popular thing to say, but the guides say, you know, you can't be a victim and a master at the same time. So you can look at anything as potential opportunity for growth or, or scream at it and, and go hide in the cellar. And I don't know if we get to do that anymore because I get that the cellar is getting flooded too. You know, we're having to deal with everything. So, you know, my next question uh, for the guides is then, how does it practically look in our day-to-day -day lives to, to recognize everything in, in everything is God what can we do practically as individuals, instead of trying to save the world or end climate change or these very big ideas, what can we do in our own day-to-day -day lives with the people that we love to, to better uh, help this process along? Well, this is what the books will do. I mean, this is what they're, they're, the action of them is, is to support us at this level of realization. I'm going to go to the guys because I just, you know, I, I can't pull the answers from, you know, I'd be retelling you something. And, you know, when I channel, I whisper the words and repeat them, and it sounds atrocious, and that's just how it comes. But I'm going to see if they want to answer what we'd like to. They're saying we would like to, how one attends to these teachings. How one attends to these teachings is to alignment, is to align with the attunements themselves. The attunements themselves, I know I'm in truth. I know who I am in truth. I know what I'm in truth. I know what I am in truth. I know how I serve and people support this. We'll support this with financial recognition. But finally, it's your own recognition that nothing can be outside of God, that nothing can be outside of God because God must be all things at all, because God must be all things or nothing at all. This must include the things, and this must include the things or perhaps the people or perhaps the people that you would put in darkness that you would put in darkness. Please know, please know what you put in darkness, what you put in darkness, who you put in darkness, who you put in darkness must call you to that darkness, must call you to that darkness. You cannot be the light. You cannot be the light and hold another in darkness and hold another in darkness. It's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. Can and will not be so. Can and will not be so. If you wish this in your life, if you wish this in your life, aligned to the potential, aligned to the potential, you may be holy, that you may be holy without even trying, without even trying, that the essence of your being, that the essence of your being is inherently divine, is inherently divine. You can't make yourself holy. You can't make yourself holy. You already are. You already are. You can't make anybody else 
themselves wholly. Indeed, they already must be. Indeed, they already must be. That's the recognition. That is the level of recognition you can begin with. You can begin with and ascend from there and descend from there, period. In the same period. Wow, thank you. And, wow. and, and so when, when they say uh, ascend, ascension, uh, I'm still just trying to visualize how it looks. <laughs> how well, that's the whole book of alchemy is about this. I don't like the word. They use it rarely, and I was surprised to hear it. Um, but it's a word that people seem to have, have come to and perhaps appropriated. The process of ascension, I suspect, is the process of lifting vibration. And the process of lifting vibration requires that we encounter those aspects of ourselves that we have denied the divine in. So people talk about spiritual bypassing, and with good reason, it's not how this works. You don't say, okay, I'm going to go hang up out here now without attending to those things within yourself or within others or your belief systems that aren't aligned to that level of vibration. And that's the challenging part of this. You know, it's not, hey, I'm a light worker and I'm done with my work. It's about, okay, I'm willing to do this, and the process begins. You know all the metaphors of the, you know, the guides use some of them. The caterpillar and the butterfly and the cocoon, you know, birth. It's none of these processes. They're all beautiful. They're not necessarily comfortable at all. Mm. You know, they talk now about what's happening before us. They say, imagine a seed that's about to sprout. The shell cracks open and the movement of the seed and its new growth dislodges the earth that's been around it. It's a violent process. It's beautiful, but it, it moves things. So ascension, I understand it, because I do believe that's one of the ways of sort of talking about what the guides do, is the realization of who we already are at a higher level. It's not about aspiring to get there. There's a part of you, Ryan, that already exists in what the guides call the upper room. That's the aspect of you that knows who you already are. Yeah. Their teaching is about aligning to that level so that it is made manifest or your knowing of yourself is in a higher agreement to that. And you're not misidentifying with the personality and his suffering or his problems or confusions or, or all the things, you know. We think we're our careers. We think we're our relationships. We think we're the money we have in the bank. That's not who any of us are. Those are just ways to know ourselves. Beautiful. Now, I... One, one common symptom of this process for us as human beings is a, a feeling of going a little bit insane. It's, it's insanity. I, I guess if sanity is a collective agreement to what everything is, and we all kind of agree and say, yeah, that's what it is, then insanity must be uh, admitting that maybe that's not what it is. And, and, and can, can you or the guides comment on that process of feeling like one is going insane through this process? Well, I don't know that I can. I mean, certainly I've experienced it at times through this. I mean, I, you know, when I was dictating alchemy or they were dictating it through me, I was, I found out, oh, oh this is, you know, I found out, I, I, I assumed they were going to start a book because I'd agreed to have another one to the publisher. And then they didn't start when I thought they would. I was doing a, a like a week long retreat at the Esalen Institute and they didn't, do anything on a book for the first week. And I figured, okay, I guess I'm off the hook for a little while longer. And I woke up the third morning that I was there to the news of the suicide of a, of, of a dear friend of mine who was somebody I knew from my academic life, who was the last person I ever thought would take his own life. He had been a rock for me in my academic career. 
And I was stunned and floored, and I walked into the classroom, and I sat down, and the guides began the dictation for alchemy that morning, when I was completely derailed and, and stunned. And I actually remained derailed and stunned by one event or another in my life for the, the ensuing months that the book was being dictated, and then for the months thereafter. And I remember saying to somebody, I wonder if this book should come with a warning. Like, you're going to have to deal with your stuff if you do this, because it's not... This isn't sort of wishy-washy unicorns and rainbows stuff. This is, you want this, you can have it, but the parts of ourselves that we are being ruled by that are frightened and angry and in despair must be addressed as of this, as part of this process. I'm not trying to dissuade people from reading the book. I'm just saying it's not light reading because there's an energetic component to how these books operate. People have been saying that from the beginning. I'm reading these books. My body is vibrating. It's how the reviews started coming in from the very first one. So your question was about, you know, what, what is this going insane stuff? I'm going to ask the guys who would like to answer. They're saying we would like to answer. It's not being, it's not being insane. It's not being insane. It's becoming sane. It's becoming sane. It's the transition to becoming sane. It's the transition to becoming sane. It is so frightening to you. That is so frightening. You've been in a collective agreement. You've been in a collective agreement to reality, to reality with its basis in fear, with its basis in fear. To move beyond that, to move beyond that is an act of defiance, is an act of defiance and an act of love at the same time, and an act of love at the same time, at the same time. It appears insane. It appears insane, but you're actually being restored. But you are actually being restored. Celebrate this. Celebrate this and do not be frightened. And do not be frightened. Wow. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, right? Mm. Um, I've never said it before. That was, I mean, nobody's ever asked that before. So, yeah, it does make sense. <laughs> yes. So, um, we just, we, we don't have too much time left uh, in this interview, mm -hmm. Paul. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know if we'll ever have the opportunity again. So, I actually had just a couple of questions about my, my journey and sure. uh, what's happening with me at the moment. All right. Um, if you don't mind. And I'll do my best. Mm -hmm. I, I'm actually working on, on a project at the moment called Remembering Ourself. And it's it's to start up communities where people on this journey can talk, because I think it's quite a lonely journey. So it's about mm -hmm. getting people together. It's a little bit like AA, but without the yeah. addiction. Yeah. Uh, uh -huh. And sometimes I feel like guides or something is working through me. And then other times I get intense blocks of I feel like the work's coming out in flow and then it blocks me. You know, it's like yeah. it's, you, you can't go any further. And um, I, I wonder if there's any insight into what may be happening there. It's, I know it's what your blocks are. Question. I'm going to go to you and see what you might need to know around this. Well, you actually say that you don't have to know what you're doing. You have to trust that you're being led. I suspect this will work if you're not in charge. And I hear that if you try to be in charge, it's not going to work. Your idea of being in charge is being the director, deciding what it should look like. In all cases, you're not asking what it wants to be. And that's the challenge. What, to be. what do you want to be? How can I support this? And how can I support this is a much higher way, is a much higher way to any act of creation, to any act of creation. If you signify what it should be, if you signify what it should be, what color the walls will be, what color the walls will be, who's allowed to talk, 
who's allowed and who's not. You've already decided. You've already decided through exclusion, through exclusion, to create an open space. To create an open space for people to learn, for people to learn as they wish, as they wish, is admirable, is admirable, but understand what the requirements are, but understand what the requirements are and what are not and what are not required, required, the person would tell you. The first thing we would tell you is don't be a missionary, is don't be a missionary, simply hold a space, simply hold a space, let what evolves in the space, let what evolves in the space contribute to the goal, contribute to the good of the whole, have only rules, have only rules that respect the whole, that respect the whole, do not ask for money, do not ask for money unless it's required, unless it's required to sustain the, to sustain the business, the business of creation, of the creation. So what does that mean, the room itself? The room itself and how it's supported and how it's supported. Trust those who will come. Trust those who will come are the ones that need to be there, are the ones that need to be there. You are not teaching a class. You are not teaching a class, so you don't need teachers. So you don't need teachers. Teachers require compensation. Teachers require compensation or a title or a title, create a space, create a space where there is room to learn, where there is room to learn, where becomes their own teacher, where everybody becomes their own teacher and honors the learning of before them and honors the learning of the one before them, period. That's what I get. I'm surprised that I don't know that they would have an opinion on something like this as an opinion we say. They're saying this isn't an opinion, it's what we say in response to his question, in response to his question, so. Wow. That wasn't Thank psychic, you. that was them. Yeah, okay. Thank you very much, Paul, for channeling uh -huh. that. It speaks yep. absolutely spot on, by the way. Now, I know that you also work with um, couples as well. And yep. um, as I was saying, my wife is currently in Thailand. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just wondered if um, you could give me any insight to that relationship. I, I know sure. I've seen you with uh, Aubrey yep. Marcus on that, yep. but my wife's called Kwansuda Prompak. Let me see if I can get her first. She's coming through shaking her head no. Her lips are pursed. When people purse their lips, that generally means they're not going to say what they feel, but you're going to know what they feel through their not saying it. Do you understand it? It's almost like tacit disapproval, but it's a way of maintaining control and by withholding. So she comes through a little like that. Let me go from you to her. Say her name again, Ryan. Uh, Kwansuda Prompak. Let me go from you to her. You're coming through with your jaw open, like what? And it's as if you're looking around the room, and I know this because you told me that you were separated from her just by circumstance at least, but you're looking around the room as if where did everybody go? That's how you're showing up right now. So do you want to know what to do about this relationship? Is that your yes. question? Yes. Let me just tune into you and see what you want to say. You actually come through emotionally, and I don't know what's happening in your personal life, but you come through with your, your, your mouth quivering, which is emotion. And I hear, I need her for, to forgive me for not being who she wanted me to be. I can't be who she wants me to be. I would have, if I could, I would have. And you don't want to lose your family, but you just want to be yourself. And this is the challenge. And, this. I hear you're learning through this. She has some forgiveness. She has some forgiveness. I do hear she may have some work to do on forgiveness, as do we all. As do we all. So, nothing new there. Um, how old's your child, please? Two, two and a half. Can I have your child's name? Otis Kemp. Let me see if I can get him. 
Well, Otis is smart because he's already looking between the two of you and rolling his eyes, you know, which is basically, I often feel this when parents are separated or in challenge, but it's the tennis match look. Um, but the energy towards you is a little bit, come on already, come on already, come on already to you, come, come on already. So it's an acknowledgement of you and really a questioning of what's actually happening. So the awareness is coming to that place of what's actually happening. I'm going to go to you, to Otis. You come through saying, I would do anything I could, but I can't. That's what you come through. So this is of the moment, I will say, Ryan. I don't know that this is ongoing, but this is of the moment. So I don't know if that helps or makes any sense. But No, thank you very much. Thank you. Paul. You're welcome. You're welcome. And, you know, one of my final questions then is that Many of us on this journey do feel like we have to strip away all the things that we're not in order to become what we really are. And that can mm. be, as we've discussed, with um, with alcohol, with dietary things, with whatever. But it can also be with, with family. And it seems for many of us, sure. we end up quite isolated and alone on this journey. Could you you or the guides comment on that? Why, why that is, why we feel that way? So I hear some of its choice. Some of it's the soul's dictate. Some of it's about learning how to become unhabituated to pass, to pass behavior, which you can learn in a solitary way, more effectively, more effectively than through a prior relationship. And you're not excluding relationships, but you're not excluding relationships on this path, on this path. In fact, you're inviting them. In fact, you're inviting them, but in a new way, but in a new way to know yourself. The ability to re-know yourself requires you to know others, requires you to re-know others. You have passengers. You have passengers on the boat you share. On the boat you share, you take turns. You take turns steering the rudder, steering the rudder, the direction the couple goes in, the direction the couple goes in. But finally, we suggest, but finally, we suggest the evolution of soul, the evolution of a soul and its own dictates, and its own dictates are primary, are primary. Some things cannot be shared. Some things cannot be shared because they are too, because they are too singular, singular, the experience. The experience can be shared, can be shared, but not the meaning of it, but not the meaning of it, which is filtered through the individual, which is filtered through the individual, whatever that means. Wow. Okay? Yes, perfect. So, Paul, if, if people want to find out more about you, and I know the book's available on Amazon. We're going to be putting the links yeah. uh, down below. Uh, yeah. It's paulselig.com, right? That's right. Yeah. Well, that's that's perfect. I'm not sure if our video is held up uh, mm -hmm. towards the end towards the end here, but okay. uh, I just want to say a big thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you very much.